0: With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey
1: everyone, Danielle Leal here and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Agricultural and business groups are suing over the new waters of the U.S. rule. The American Farm Bureau Federation and other agricultural and business groups are suing federal agencies over the new waters of the U.S. rule, also known as WOTUS. The lawsuit argues that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and the Army Corps of Engineers overreached in finalizing the rule back in December. Plaintiffs say the new rule could subject farmers to onerous requirements under the Clean Water Act. AFBF President Zippy Duvall says, quote, farmers and ranchers should not have to hire a team of lawyers and consultants to determine how we can farm our land. That was today's California Farm Bureau. Food and Farm News reported. now let's get into our show headlines. DPR's report shows a decrease in pesticide use. The use of pesticides across the state has decreased according to the recent Pesticide Use Report published by the Department of Pesticide Regulations. The PER notes that in 2021, the total pounds of active pesticide ingredients applied in California decreased by 11.5% and the total area treated by pesticides decreased by 10.3 percent, as compared to 2020 numbers. The use of biopesticides and oils were trending up, and the use of carcinogens, fumigants, reproductive toxins, and groundwater and toxic air contaminants went down. DPR Director Julie Henderson says, quote, Pesticide use data plays a critical role in informing actions to protect human health and the environment, both in our regulatory work and in California's transition to safer, more sustainable pest management. Recently, the Sustainable Pest Management Workgroup released a roadmap for the state to continue these efforts. This roadmap will hold the goals and actions needed to be taken for California to have a statewide transition away from high-risk conventional materials to safer, more sustainable pest control options. To view the Pesticide Use Report, as well as the Roadmap for California from the Sustainable Pest Management Workgroup, you can visit www.cdpr.ca.gov. And now here's Brian German with back-to-back agriculture news.
2: Monterey County officials are still working to assess damages from the recent storms. Executive Director of the Monterey County Farm Bureau, Norm Groot, says they're still holding to the estimate of 20,000 acres impacted by the storm events, but overall damage assessment is ongoing
3: we're actually in the middle of a survey right now trying to fully assess all the damaged acres and what that dollar total might actually increase to we had estimated 40 to 50 million but it's probably going to increase from there and we're getting a good response to the survey at this point but we're going to continue collecting that because we still have standing water in many of the fields where the levees broke or water is just not draining away at this point so it's hard to get a full assessment until all that water is gone and and they can actually get in and look at damage to the fields, as well as the infrastructure and what may need to be done to improve their levee situation."
2: Pistachios are better able to manage drought conditions over flooded environments. Cooperative Extension Specialist in the Department of Plant Sciences at UC Davis, Julia Marino said that pistachio trees are a species that's used to living without water, but has a more difficult time with flooded conditions.
4: Of course, drought or reduced water reduce yield. And at the same time, to maximize yield, applying the right amount of water is essential. But the water stress is not so negative or so impactful as an excessive amount of irrigation or a saturation of the soil. Drought and flooding affect physiologically the pistachio in a very similar way. So the physiological impacts are similar. You will see reduced vegetative growth, closure of stomata, so lower photosynthesis, and you can also arrive to early senescence and uh, leaf drop. Overall, however, the effect of drought is more reversible than the effect of flooding.
2: I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network.
1: Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of today's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at Statewide Agriculture News at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
0: Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fels Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net.
1: Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight.
5: In today's national spotlight, thousands of cattle producers are here in New Orleans this week for the Cattle Industry Annual Convention, and the U.S. Meat Export Federation is giving updates on how checkoff investments have helped drive global demand for US beef to new heights. US MEF is a contractor for the Beef Checkoff Program, and US MEF president and CEO Dan Holstrom says he's looking forward to sharing the information with producers.
6: USMEF is always excited about the annual convention, which is in New Orleans this year. One of the highlights is the checkoff Highlight Session, which is held on Thursday morning. And we look forward to reporting in that session, similar to some of the other cooperators, but highlighting the international successes for the year in another record-breaking year, which is approaching $12 billion in sales for U.S. beef. And it's a broad-based range of markets that have contributed. The really big ones would be, of course, China, Korea, the ASEAN region in general. You have quite a few that have been performing at a high level
5: the Beef Checkoffs International Marketing Committee will feature a deeper dive into the factors driving US beef export growth.
6: We'll be reporting in a bit more detail there about what's going on around the world from a strategic perspective, not only what's happening today, but what are we really doing to try to grow beef demand internationally for the future? You know, what are the future strategies looking like as we go out beyond the next few years?
5: USMEF will also have information available at its trade show booth, including details on the importance of beef variety meat exports, items such as tongue, liver, tripe, and hearts, which help maximize carcass value. Producers can stop by for one-on-one conversations.
6: We always have a booth at the trade show and USMEF staff will be there in force to help tell our story in a bit more detail. So we encourage producers to stop by the booth. We'd love to talk about not only what's going on globally in the international market, but what does that mean from a value basis back to the producer? I mean, when you're talking about approaching $460 a head attributable to exports, that's really about maximizing the whole carcass. Beef variety meats are a very important part of that. If we're approaching close to 12 billion in sales globally, you can count on over 10 percent of that, or in excess of one billion, will be beef variety meat. This is sort of the beauty of explaining to producers how the international markets really complement the domestic market in moving the whole carcass.
5: Through November of 2022, U.S. beef and beef variety meat exports totaled one point 36 million metric tons up 3% from the same period in 2021. That according to data released by the USDA and compiled by USMEF. Export value already set an annual record at $10.9 billion, up 14% year-over-year. Export value equated to more than $450 per head of fed cattle, up 13% year-over-year. Meanwhile, University of Idaho expert Dr. Phil Bass says in his assessment, the relationship between cattle producers and cattle packers has improved over the past 12 months. He says he's hopeful the positive dialogues will continue. However, he cautions that tensions between the two sides will remain, and he says, are needed. And another topic cattle producers around the nation are discussing, a new nationwide requirement for prescriptions for livestock antibiotics that are medically important. Now, while California has had this requirement since 2018, the rule goes into effect nationwide this June. Ron Gill at Texas A&M University is telling producers to prepare now.
7: Make sure you have the products on hand that you need, and uh, you'll have to work with a veterinarian and have a what we call a veterinary client-patient relationship set up with that veterinarian so he'll be comfortable uh, prescribing antibiotics to you. And so that'll be the, the biggest difference. You just can't walk into a store and, and purchase it.
5: Be sure to follow us on social media for pictures and more from the convention this week. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson,
8: Fragnet West.
5: Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock
1: Report, here's Randa Wiseman.
8: Well, in today's livestock news, the 2023 Cattle Industry Convention officially kicks off today in New Orleans, Louisiana. One group meeting this week during the annual event is the Cattlemen's Beef Board, who of course is responsible for overseeing the collection of the beef checkoff and funding their various programs. They'll be looking at the various programs conducted last year and preview some of those planned for this year. Of course, U.S. beef exports saw another great year in 2022, but why have those exports been so good? Well, that's a question that Agnet Media recently asked CBB Vice Chair Jimmy Taylor.
7: The United States Meat Export Federation does an excellent job with their market development. Part of the things that they will do is educating people outside the United States what quality beef is and how to prepare it because it's different than what they have been used to. And once they acquire that taste, they like it and they want to keep buying it. Another thing that I think has helped uh, during the COVID years, we had to pivot and market differently in those areas. E-commerce came into play. We moved forward in that area probably one to two years because we were forced to. There wasn't much face-to-face going on. And I think we've been able to hold that e-commerce markets. And then with with hotels and restaurants coming back online, we're bringing that back up. And I, I think that's part of what's going on there. And there's a big event coming up in a little over two weeks that the beef industry is looking forward to. The Beef It's What's for Dinner 300. This will be our third year to sponsor that. Last year's event, there were 6.2 billion impressions came out of that. And and an impression is an opportunity to see a message about beef. So there were 6.2 billion opportunities to see something about beef coming out of that race. Our job is to create beef demand, and the dollars we get, we try to put them in places where we get the biggest bang for the buck. Again, that
8: was CBB Vice Chair Jimmy Taylor. You can learn more about the Cattlemen's Beef Board on their website, beefboard.org. And during the annual Cattle Industry Convention being held this week, cattle producers from across the country will also be reaffirming their commitment to protecting environmental resources, supporting communities, and creating an economically viable future through effective management practices. The Beef Sustainable Forum will be held Thursday, February 2nd. It is designed to highlight the industry's sustainability efforts. In addition to the sustainability forum, convention attendees can find sustainability-focused educational sessions on the NCBA trade show floor in the Cattle Chats area. During these brief presentations, industry leaders will be sharing the latest trends in sustainability and other issues impacting the beef cattle industry. The annual Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show runs through this Friday, February 3rd. It will also feature a variety of education, entertainment, and business meetings. Again, you can learn more about it at convention.ncba.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West.
1: This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water-holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fontozzi, at 209-312-4016. Synagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now
5: putting billions into rural electric infrastructure that's coming up on this land of ours The USDA is investing $2.7 billion to help 64 electric cooperatives and utilities expand and modernize the nation's rural electric grid and increase grid security. The announcement came from Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack Monday. He said the investments will benefit rural people and businesses in many ways for decades to come. The loans include $613 million to help rural utilities and cooperatives install and upgrade smart grid technologies. Smart grid can be a catalyst for broadband and other telecommunications services in unserved and underserved rural areas, in addition to improving grid security and reliability. USDA's Electric Loan Program can help finance wind, solar, and natural gas plants, as well as improvements to produce cleaner energy from coal-fired plants. Local utilities also use the loans to invest in infrastructure to deliver affordable power to millions of residential, commercial, and agricultural consumers. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West.
3: This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. Carbon capture and storage involve storing carbon thousands of feet below ground, often below farm fields. But who owns the pore space that deep underground? Numerous state legislatures are addressing the issue of who owns the pore space deep under the surface where carbon is being stored. It's a property right issue. In Indiana, the surface owner owns the subsurface pore spaces unless the rights have been granted to someone else. Indiana law also allows property owners to integrate their subsurface pore space together to make a storage facility. If all of the pore space owners don't agree to combine their interests, the state DNR can require the owners to combine their interest if the owners of at least 70% of the pore space consent. The law also limits subsurface trespass liability for a carbon storage operator unless it can be shown that the carbon injection was a nuisance or caused an injury. The North Dakota Supreme Court has held that surface owners have the right to profit from use of pore space for carbon disposal or storage and can seek damages for unauthorized injection or migration into pore space. Iowa is presently considering legislation for pipelines that would capture and carry carbon away from ethanol plants. Other states also have laws that address pore space ownership and liability issues. Expect this property right issue to continue into the future. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen.
9: The sound of wild bumblebees. A sound that uh, does not seem to be heard as often as it used to be or as loud as it used to be. Scientists say it's likely a combination of things, many of which are linked to just not enough natural food out there. One of several reasons for that is the loss of natural wildflowers and such that provide pollen for the bees. In many cases, those areas have been filled in with housing developments, replacing wildflowers and such with perfectly trimmed lawns. And according to Kyle Grubbs with the USDA's Bee Research Lab in Maryland... A lot of people like to have a really clean manicured yard that's just pure grass but what you're effectively doing then is creating a food desert for the bees but he and other scientists say most of the problem is not the grass itself as some might believe but rather how the grass is managed
10: i think you can have a beautiful lawn and still provide floral resources
9: this is karen harris schultz a researcher at a usda laboratory in tifton georgia and she says many people wrongly
10: believe this myth Grasses. don't provide any floral resources for our pollinators.
9: But that's not true. Many grasses can produce flowers and pollen. And in her personal investigation of a popular southeastern turf grass called centipede grass, Karen documented the flowers and bumblebees collecting pollen from them. Most people don't think turf grass can produce flowers or pollen at all.
10: I think it's just a common misconception.
9: Karen says there are studies that show many grasses have the ability to flower and help feed bees and other pollinators. The problem is, in many cases, We don't give the grass a chance to produce its flowers because we mow it so often. Too often. She says there's got to be enough time between mowings for the flowers to be formed.
10: About a 14-day interval is enough to produce the flowers. So if they're mowing every 14 days, that should be okay. And of course, mowing once a month is probably even better.
9: That may be asking a lot, though. Also, she says don't stop mowing altogether.
10: Because if you don't mow, they'll just set seed, and so those flowers will be useless.
9: Karen says if you mow just every couple of weeks, it allows the flowers to form, and in the case of centipede grass, it produces flowers from spring until the first freeze. So our mowing schedule is important. Also,
10: one of the things is to be really careful about applying insecticides to your lawn. And just realize that there are bees that are moving around your lawn, and there are also um, bees feeding on those flowers. So probably not applying insecticides or applying them very vigilantly would be best
9: in fact she says that should apply to things like weed killers as well so karen says our lawns don't need to be a food desert for bees many grasses can produce flowers and pollen that wild bees can use trick is we have to give the grass a chance to do that so that maybe next spring and summer we can hear less of this and more of this yes gary crawford reporting for the u.s department of agriculture
1: this is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news, at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
0: Farm employers' labor service compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with FELS posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated, weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net.
1: Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments.
11: Well, we keep an eye on Wall Street here at midweek. Stocks ended January on the plus side, and a strong kick to the finish for the month. S&P 500 and the Dow closing higher for the month. In fact, three out of the last four months they've been higher, and the best January performance on Wall Street in four years. Attention now turns to comments later today from Fed Chairman Powell. Any sign that the Fed may pause interest rate hikes after March? Most suggest that there'll be a quarter-point rate hike the next two months. Some say that could be summer before there's actually a pause that takes place as far as interest rates are concerned. Well, we're just a few days away from the first ever Crop Nutrition Week, brought to you by our friends at AgriLiquid. By the way, folks, when you do sign up, it's all free. You might get something very special in the mail from AgriLiquid. It starts next Monday. You can go online and register for free, CropNutritionWeek.com. Go to CropNutritionWeek.com. This is the Bottom Line Report. Agricultural stock earnings reports continue, and mostly positive, a recent report on suggested ag stocks to buy included ADM, Bungie, Corteva, and FMC. That's our bottom line at midweek. I'm Mark Ophold, wishing you a profitable day.
12: Good day, everybody. Albert J. Hernandez, the Untamed Chef for Agnet West. Welcome to the California Kitchen, where you can learn how to cook from an award-winning chef in under three minutes or less. I'm your host with the most. Let's get untamed. A special thank you to my amazing sponsor, usa.com Once again, that's usa.com where you can get affordable and great quality kitchenware knives, pots, pans, and any and everything you could think of in the kitchen, www.imousausa.com. My recipe today is a fun recipe, something that I've been doing a lot with uh, definitely in my own life and a lot for some of my clients, making some really, really cool salads. But what makes a great salad is what, very simply, some really great ingredients and a great sauce. The rest of it just kind of literally folds together. So that's exactly what we're doing today. This is my recipe for a baby Bella mushrooms that is grilled with a beautiful blue cheese dressing. So let's get untamed. So making our blue cheese dressing, it's very, very simple. What do we need? We need a really great cultured buttermilk and not a lot of it. And I usually do about a half a cup of buttermilk And I like to do half a cup of a nice gorgonzola blue cheese. A splash of lemon juice helps in this, but it's not necessary, but always remember to season with salt and pepper. Now, blue cheese is the only dressing that when I make it, I want it to be thick. I don't want it to be thin. We want those beautiful pieces of blue cheese to adhere to the lettuce that we're actually gonna be putting this on. Now, we can make this in advance, and that's not an issue at all. But when we're grilling our mushrooms, I simply am going to take Baby Bella mushrooms, and they're beautiful right now, this time of year. We just want to put a good amount of oil onto them, salt, pepper and if you want to put a little bit of italian spices you can but you don't have to i like a little bit of dried chive i think it really brings out the flavor of the mushroom and i'm going to put that on to a grill and i like to use a very simple yakitori grill um, that we don't need to do nothing to it more than just light it up let those flames die down and you can use regular charcoal for this you do not have to use wood However, whenever you're making this recipe, always remember that you don't want to put the mushrooms on the fire right away because the fire will blacken those mushrooms up and put a nasty taste onto them. And we want to cook with the heat, but not let the heat actually touch our product. This is so, so important. This is the number one mistake a lot of people make, especially when doing simple grilling. Allow them to come to room temperature and just toss that in with some red onions also, I would like to use a really nice romaine heart. And when I'm using the romaine, I take the top off, I take the bottom off, and I'm only using that beautiful, crunchy center. Make sure they're nice and crisp, no browning on them whatsoever. Serve immediately. I'm Albert J. Hernandez, and you all know me as the Untamed Chef for Agnet West.
4: The first edition of a USDA Wintertime Report was recently released never heard of state stories? Agriculture department meteorologist Brad Rippey provides some history.
13: For decades now, USDA NAS has collected information from individual states and it's from a group of trusted observers, thousands of individuals that are either in the field regularly or working for USDA farmers, ranchers, as well as government employees and others involved with the agricultural industry, taking these weekly observations that really help to drive this full picture of agriculture.
4: However, with little going on in the way of ag information in the winter months about a decade ago.
13: NAS decided to cut out some of the winter observations. It made sense because it was just a function of trying to keep this going through the winter when there's not a whole lot going on. So NASA opted to go to a monthly reporting scheme. So we still have useful information coming in from the individual states, from trusted observers. They kind of keep an eye on crop conditions during the quieter winter period. And that's how state stories was born. It replaced the weekly agricultural state summaries. They used to be published all the way through the winter but are now just during the growing season.
4: So what was found in the latest state stories covering the month of December? Rippy starts with winter wheat condition in southern plains states. So
13: for Kansas, as of the end of December, the winter wheat is rated 49% very poor to poor. That unfortunately is an increase from the previous report at the end of November when 43% of the crop was rated very poor to poor.
4: Also noted the combination of drought and last month's cold wave that impacted pasture and rangeland conditions.
13: Oklahoma coming in, 51% of the rangeland and pastures rated very poor to poor, and even up north where we've 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 seen plenty of snow and protection from the cold. Montana rangeland and pastures coming in at 41%, very poor to poor.
4: And the range was wide regarding topsoil moisture condition rating among several states.
13: States showing topsoil moisture rated at least 50 percent, very short to short, at the end of December. Oklahoma at 58 percent. Kansas, 69 percent. Nebraska, 73 percent. And New Mexico at 76 percent. On the flip side, Arkansas and Louisiana coming in at the end of December with topsoil moisture, 60 percent surplus, leading to muddy conditions and Disruptions in field work.
4: I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
1: You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water-holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fontozzi, at 209-312-4016. Synagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. In this week's Almond Matters, brought to you by Valent, Educational meetings play an important role in keeping industry members informed, and they also serve as opportunities for product developers to hear from growers.
2: Joining us again here today is Todd Berkdahl, Field Market Development Specialist with Valent USA. And now, Todd, last month you spent some time going up and down the state as uh, part of an educational uh, roadshow that, that you guys were putting on to help growers uh, maybe get a better understanding of um, some of the tools available to them that, that you folks have available in your portfolio. And so, Todd, I know these meetings uh, featured some informational presentations, but uh, I'd imagine they served as a good opportunity for uh, some of those growers to maybe ask some questions about how things uh, might work in their particular operations and uh, maybe get a better idea of how some materials uh, might work in their specific growing conditions.
14: That's correct. Um, You know, it's a general overview of products, uh, PGRs, insecticides, and then couple of fungicides so but it's it's a general so that yeah we do have quite a few questions coming out in the uh after the event during the lunch period people are asking you know specific to their operation specific to their crop ideas on how you know can we use it this way can we use it that way just different ideas that come up you know a lot of times brian we the product is developed by grower pca input um if you look at some products, especially like PGRs, where we evaluate a product and we develop a product for a certain use, but then growers actually find out that, hey, what if I used it like this? Understanding the tool gives you broader use, I think, if you, as long as you understand the basics of the tool. Hey, this is what it does. This is how it works in the plant. This is how the plant responds, or this is how this plant responds. What about on this? What about on that? What about on different crop? can we use it on on this crop? and if you look at the jib label the gibberellic acid label going back to the early 70s and looking at that label today from what it was it's been grossly expanded and it's primarily been due to grower input uh, hey we tried it like this we think it works can we develop this we, we continue to research and expand uh, our research in order to uh, expand the label so yeah, grower input is a great – you know, we're working as a, basically in a concerted arena. We need everybody to work together, and, and nobody has all the answers. So there really are no silver bullets, but learning to use the tools effectively is really up to the in, actual end user, you know, whether they follow the label. And then they see things that we, we may not have seen, or they see things on a certain variety that we don't see. So there's um, there's always room for – for learning, life is life is a school.
2: And uh, you'd mentioned that uh, it's a pretty broad overview of, of basically a full portfolio that's available to growers. But uh, what were some of the topics that maybe um, got the most questions from growers, or uh, maybe some of the more uh, notable updates that were uh, provided as part of those meetings?
14: Well, there's two. We have um we have the PGRs. Of course, we have retained for use on improving fruit set on on, on tree nuts for almonds and for. For walnuts, so we go into a little bit of that. Uh, a seed is the other new PGR we talk about, which is a. Um, it's a, basically the antithesis to uh, to retain. It actually promotes ethylene, whereas retain inhibits ethylene. Uh, a seed actually promotes ethylene, we can use it at bloom on, on stone fruit where it's registered for, for uh, thinning for over a chemical thinning uh, effect. Basically, you promote. The production of endogenous or internal ethylene in the plant, and that ethylene has an effect on the floral pollination and uh, fruit set. So, as sprayed right on a bloom, it can be an effective uh, thinner. So, we talk about that quite a bit, and we talk about uh, Senstar, which is our new insecticide. It's a combination insecticide with Spirotetramat and pyroproxifen. So, it's a contact with a, a systemic in the same jug and the formulation is unique so the compatibility of the two actives is they're not on our own if you just took and mixed them together they wouldn't be compatible but we've had some we've got some really good uh, chemists in our labs who came up with this novel formulation that makes it uh a viable in the jug mix already so it's, it's a one one mix one one in one mix and you're done very broad spectrum insecticide that uh, has very good activity on a lot of soft-bodied insects uh specifically one of the things that's really good on is mealybugs and in scale it's uh, very effective it's registered in citrus tree nuts uh we're pending a registration for grapes fruiting vegetables but uh, leafy vegetables is on the label so it's it's got a broad crop group crop groupings uh, that is, you can use it on as well as having very good activity it's uh it outshines either or of the actives in the tank singly applied when you apply two of them together in this formulation it's much more effective than a than a, just a single of the spirotetramat or the pure so that's what i've i talk about and it's uh it's very effective i've worked on it for the last six years and it's it's exciting to see something come to market that's so effective it will be a good tool for growers and then we talk about back so with an old product bt dipel it's been around for a long time but how how it works you know going into the in-depth uh the way it works on on the insects and how to use it more effectively uh sometimes older products get you know oh, that that doesn't you know that's that's been around a long time but just a refresher on on Dipel and Zantari, which has um, been very good. We've, we've actually been working to expand the uh, uses there. So, a uh, 50-year-old product still has a lot of life left in it. And um, that's that's it in an nutshell, line. It's and then we talk about our regular products as well, Chateau and Plage and putting those getting those out there we've got some new formulations for zeal and chateau that we talk about the dynamic uh, properties of the new formulations and how to use them so it's an overall it's just it's talking about new tools or some some old tools and how to use them and uh i think any any tool if you know how to use it well can be an effective uh, bonus for your for your production
1: Thanks, Brian. And stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at Statewide Agriculture News at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
8: Over the
10: years, you've brought opioids into your home. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But holding on to opioids puts your family at risk. Learn more at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal.
1: You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Health and wellness bonuses at Activate 23. AgSafe's annual health and safety conference is coming up February 7th through the 9th. Teresa Keene, president and CEO of the organization, says attendees can snag some COVID-related freebies at the conference.
10: Every year we like to offer something a little bit different. And so this year, um, if you come to the AgSafe headquarters, you're going to be able to get um, some really great opportunities to get some additional health and safety um, wellness Uh, Information. Um, We will also have COVID test kits available for free. So uh, make sure you stop by the AgSafe headquarters for those. We will also have, um, if you need face masks, we've got those available as well.
1: Thugs can also check out the latest state of the art products and services that help businesses streamline their safety, health, and human resource programs when they attend the sponsor industry trade show. If interested in
10: attending, Keen says, Folks can register online. We have some group rate discounts, so if you bring three or more folks with you, please, you know, take advantage of that, um, that discount for members. And if you're not a member of AgSafe, sign up so you can take advantage of those discounts.
1: To get more information about the conference, activate 23 and take a look at the schedule of events. Or if you'd like to find out general information on AgSafe, you can visit agsafe.org. And if you can't find exactly what you're
10: looking for, Keen adds, If you ever have questions, never hesitate to let us know. You can go to, uh, you send an email to safeinfo at agsafe.org or give us a call at 209-526-4400.
1: And now here's Brian German with more agriculture news. The
2: dairy industry will be paying close attention to farm bill discussions as conversations focus on the federal milk marketing order and the potential for reform. There's been criticism regarding current marketing orders not accurately reflecting market conditions. According to a new research brief from CoBank's Knowledge Exchange, there is a significant discrepancy between make allowances and the realistic cost of dairy processing. The make allowances for many dairy products have not been updated since 2008. Lead dairy economist for CoBank, Tanner Imke, said that insufficient make allowances could lead to a drop in investment in dairy processing facilities, which could ultimately impact overall market access for U.S. dairy by allowing other global competitors to meet the growing demand for high-value dairy products. Imke explained that updating make allowances won't guarantee increased investments in new processing assets, but neglecting to address the allowances could limit U.S. dairy growth long-term. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network.
1: Mechanical harvest aids an innovation in the produce industry. While mechanized equipment use grows in fruit and vegetable production, there is still the issue of adapting such innovation for various crops. USDA's Rod Bain talks with Skylar Simnett of the Economic Research Service in this next report
4: fruit and vegetable growers continue to rely increasingly on mechanical aids to improve efficiencies and address higher labor costs in recent years.
13: A good example is in the Washington State apple industry. Growers are using platforms now where their teams of workers can ride on the platform between orchard rows and move up and down that we don't have to lug around ladders. It's safer, it's faster. When you're managing your orchards, that's the way you've got to think a little bit different about compensation.
4: Skyler Simditt of USDA's ag. Agricultural Research Service acknowledges that mechanization is easier to adapt with some fruit and vegetable crops than with others processed produce in many instances lend to machine harvesting, while more delicate fruits and vegetables are more susceptible to damage from mechanized equipment. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
1: Thanks, Rod. And all sorts of autonomous vehicles and innovative products will be showcased at the 2023 World Ag Expo. To get a sneak peek at some of the autonomous inventions, you can visit the World Deck Expo's top 10 new product list. You can also score $3 off your ticket when purchasing online using the code AGNET.
0: To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit AGNET West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Daniel Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halbertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.